Miracy. I think direct experience is where it's at. Mysticism is definitely that, where you get these direct experiences with the divine, but also direct experiences with life in general. Hello, I'm Katie Valentine, and you're listening to Soul Savvy Business. I am a soul-minded spiritual entrepreneur, a Christian minister, and a New Testament scholar. Don't let any of that scare you. I support all paths to the divine. I use tools like chakras, dreams, and intuition to get there. On this podcast, we explore the intersection of business and spirituality. What do I mean by that? Too often, we separate our business selves from our spiritual selves. But in doing that, we never leverage the full potential of either one. This series aims to help you fall in love with your own soul so that you can live your most fulfilling and successful life. On today's episode, I'll be talking with a brilliant musician, coach, and author who helps others unlock their own creative genius. But first. In every episode, I offer a tip around abundance in your spiritual journey. Today's tip is a mindset and an emotional invitation around money, and it's to practice excitement and gratitude about paying other people. Whether this is your team, your vendors, your coaches, or maybe the very first tiptoe into getting a virtual assistant, get excited about investing money in a way that benefits others. Of course, continue to do your due diligence and make sure your money is working for you. I'm not suggesting reckless spending. And get excited and delighted to pay others. I love visualizing where the money is going and how it's serving others. It's feeding families, providing joy, paying for music, travel, art. And at its heart, money is energy. And we can spend that energy with joy or with worry. I make most of my payments in the first five days of every month. And it's fun to set aside some time and energy to spend a little love and blessing to everyone who's contributed to my business that month. Get excited about paying others and know that there are probably others who are excited about paying you. My guest today is Diana Rowan. Diana holds a PhD in music theory and is a master of music as well. She composes, teaches, and performs with harp and piano. I woke up in late 2009 after a really terrible year, and I knew I wanted to do something for myself, and I'd always wanted to play the harp. I searched for harp teachers near me and found one just one mile away in Berkeley, California. And it turns out that the divine was present in making this connection all along. Diana believes that we are all born to create, to share our gifts, and she coaches people back to their creative fulfillment. Welcome to the show, Diana. Thank you. It's great to hear your origin story with the harp. Yeah. Did you not know that? I did not know that. Oh, it is so true. Yeah. In in 2009, I just had this horrible year and I thought, I have to do something for myself. And a few years later, I was looking back at notes from our lessons and I saw our very first lesson was on the winter solstice. And so it made me so happy. Well, I'm so glad you're here. And I'm just curious if anything resonated with you on that abundance tip for today on just getting excited about spending money. Yeah. A concept that I love is sacred reciprocity. 
And it's something that runs through all of my interactions and all of my teaching. And sacred reciprocity is the idea that energy wants to be in balance. And when it's in balance, things manifest, things go well, life flourishes. So the energy that you share with others, it doesn't have to be exactly the same currency of energy. So one person may be, for instance, giving a music lesson and sharing their knowledge, and that energy goes out and cash comes back. And so it doesn't have to be exactly the same energy matched all the time at the exact same currency, I should say, but it is the same level of energy in many ways. And when, for instance, we don't ask for what we're worth, we get out of sacred reciprocity and we get burned out because our energy is not being met. And likewise, you know, I think you were great to say, you know, do your due diligence because that is true. You want to make sure that you are paying for something that does have the value that you're paying for. And likewise, you know, if you pay too much, you're again out of sacred reciprocity. So sacred reciprocity is something that works in all relationships, in all connections. And to bring it back to music, for example, when you're performing, a major tip that I have for people in terms of getting over anxiety around performing is to think about sacred reciprocity, that you're sharing this energy and the audience is giving you energy back. And you're in this beautiful circle together. It's not a one-way street. And you're not just kind of hemorrhaging energy. You are putting out energy, but do take it back in. Do appreciate the transformations that people are having and bring that as your sacred reciprocity circle. Yes. Thank you for that. I love the the concept of sacred reciprocity. Well, we'll be talking about your spiritual, your religious background in just a moment. But first, start us off with what are the word or words that you use to refer to the divine? I would say spirit. Yeah. That is really probably the biggest one. Essence, life force, those are the main ones that I would use. I definitely feel that we each have souls and that those are unique beings in a way that will take multiple forms throughout the eons. So sometimes when people say spirit, it can be very kind of vague. You're like in a big ocean and you join the ocean again and, you know, you you kind of dissolve. I just don't feel that. I feel like we do have have an essence, a soul that is part of that life force spirit. Those are the words that I generally use. And, you know, when I go back to stress or I'm in a place where your truth comes out, I will find myself saying something like, Lord and lady, help me. Mm. You know, the male and the female, the, you know, the masculine, feminine, the big archetypes, the yin and the yang. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense and gives us the permission to be um, very creative in our spiritual journey. And so often, I think, especially within kind of Christian circles, there's a default language that actually doesn't resonate with a lot of people. And so getting, I think when we get creative, I've had a few clients who've just given personal names to God, like they call God Bob or Jane or something like that, which I just love. They make it very personal. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, God, that's so brilliant. (laughs) Well, back us up just a little bit. And we would love to know what your religious or spiritual upbringing looked like when you were younger and kind of how it's evolved to where you are now. I was born in Ireland. Uh, My parents are Catholic. And so we were surrounded by Catholic culture. My mother is half Protestant. 
So right away, you know, there was an interesting political aspect to religion that I was aware of immediately. So I was born in 1971, and the troubles were, you know, well underway at that point. And we were going to Belfast all the time. And so, you know, I would see tanks, I would see guns, and there was a lot of use of the words Catholic and Protestant because they were the way to distinguish people ethnically. It was nothing to do with theology, as you know. So right away, there was this interesting conflict, I would say, between religion and politics, religion and and life, really. Uh, At the same time, you know, I would say my parents, especially my mom, were very spiritual people. They are spiritual people. I think there was always a sense of mystery and mysticism and intuition. And they definitely weren't uh, pragmatists all the time, you know. So I would say that was some of the cultural upbringing, including, you know, that my mom is an astrologer and now has really gotten into tarot. She's become a certified tarot reader yeah. as well and is running classes, actually, <laughs> up in, in Belfast. I know. Uh, so she absolutely loves what you do, by the way. She talks about your stuff all the time. Because for her, you know, she is still, of course, you know, loving that heritage that she has of Christianity at the same time, well into the metaphysics. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I feel like I grew up with that. And that was a big background for me. And then we started living all around the world. And I got exposed to a lot of different religions, including in the Middle East and just people from all over. And I became very, very interested in spiritual paths. I would grasp onto all these great thinkers and try to get answers from them. And it was really only when I went to play at Children's Hospital Oakland, where I had to play for all the children who had died of cancer that year. And it's a very, very difficult gig to do because the parents are there and you're facing them. And watching their faces is just the most horrifying thing. You know, you see devastation on a level that you are normally not privy to, and it's so many of them, so many of these faces. And I went home and essentially had, you know, a breakdown. I really was questioning everything, you know, why did they have to die? And for about three days, I was in this mortal terror. You know, I couldn't eat, sleep, drink. I was shaking the whole time, crying. And my poor husband at the time, who's a confirmed atheist, was like, I'm so sorry you're going through this. I'm okay with the fact we're going to die. He had no solace to offer. (laughs) None. I mean, he was very sympathetic, but he's like, I'm kind of okay with that. And finally, in utter exhaustion, I just surrendered and I really allowed the thought, perhaps there isn't anything. And right at that moment that I felt this, this flame inside me and this soul, essentially, I could feel it burning inside me. And I was like, oh my God, it's been there all along. And because I was so afraid, I was grasp, I was looking for it through fear, I could never see it. Mm-hmm. So that is what got me to an utter conviction about each of us having a soul and also needing to go to our own particular style, essentially, of, of spirituality. and. In my case, it was to completely let go of the fear 
because searching through fear had actually prevented me from feeling that soul that's, you know, a little flame inside us all the time. So yeah, that's my spiritual journey. You know, what strikes me about that in this moment is that you experience what we might call the dark night of the soul in these three days from a profound experience and from witnessing suffering. And it's only that experience that can actually lead us to our path. All the sort of book knowledge and questions that, you know, you very appropriately asked your parents when when you were young. I mean, we have to go through it ourselves. And I know I have people ask me all the time, and um, you might too, what should I do on my journey? They want me to give them a formula and there's no formula except for this kind of surrender and experience. I love what you're saying. I think direct experience is where it's at. Mysticism is definitely that where you get these direct experiences with the divine, but also direct experiences with life in general. Yeah, you're, I think you're totally right. I mean, I love book knowledge. I love learning. However, the direct visceral experience, there's no substitute for that because it's another type of intelligence altogether. And if we don't use it, then we're not privy to it. But you really only know it after. So when you say, I can't really give you a formula, we know that there are certain predictable cycles we all go through, but we don't know when it's going to happen. And also we only recognize it once we're through it. (laughs) Yeah. And it's actually much more efficient system for spiritual growth than not doing it. Um, so it's it's sort of unfun mm. when you're in it, but the quickest way is always through. It's absolutely true. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about what your, you know, what, what are your spiritual practices now? How do you identify now on your spiritual journey? I would say I very much identify as a mystic. And I know that sounds extremely lofty. All I mean by that is direct experience with the divine. I would say my most consistent spiritual practice has been paganism slash Wicca. So this is very much nature-based spirituality with a strong spiritual bent for me. And with Wicca, what I love about that is there's a very modern and, in a way, activist side to it. The idea of evolution and progress, of inclusion, of people coming together, being part of an ecosystem. So it's, it's got kind of a collective quality where everybody can still be very much an individual, but you still do care a lot about your community. So yeah, I would say that's my biggest influence. Even after knowing Diana for 14 years, I had no idea about her identity as a Wiccan, and that was a great thing to learn about her. One thing that may be helpful to know is how different spiritual and religious traditions are organized. Abrahamic religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam tend to have central organization that spiral outward into local expressions. Even independent chapters, like a non-denominational church, will still have affinity with other churches. This is my bias. Because I am steeped in Abrahamic religion, I like to know what my tradition is so that I can accept, modify, or reject it. Other religions, though, are often not centrally organized and they have very local expression in groups who self-organize. They may have sacred text, but they're not in a canon like the Bible. Non-Abrahamic religions are often drawing on eons of tradition, but it's a different system with customs and rituals rather than doctrines. So when Diana is talking about her Wiccan and pagan identities and experiences, these are both global, they exist worldwide, 
but they're also very local in the sense that there's not a governing body of beliefs or practices. And I am so appreciative of the pagan communities and the ones that have allowed me access to their practices and to their rituals with their diverse expressions. Paganism is one of my strongest interfaith partnerships and learning curves, partially because of its local self-expressions. A common component among modern pagans is that they tend to be very earth-centered. Practices honor the earth and deities and pantheons are often personifications of nature or directly involved with nature. This is true of ancient paganism as well, though many of the traditions were lost or survived as folk traditions under the veneers of European Christianity. As a Jesus follower, I am grateful that we can now find a place where my very earth-centered Christianity, after all, I am made from dust, and Jesus was entombed in the earth for three days, can find common ground with pagans like Diana. Well, um, Tell us a little bit about how your spiritual journey has impacted the way you feel about money and abundance, um, past and present. It's something I've thought about a lot because I have struggled actually a lot with the concept of money. Growing up Catholic, I think there's very much a strong ideal. You know, if you have money, you should give it away. And if you make a lot of money, it, perhaps that wasn't done without taking advantage of people. There was a real culture around that, which is kind of ironic looking at the riches of the Vatican, just to be honest, you know, and this idea that if you have it, you should share it. And that is still something that I, I do believe in, but I think it got out of balance. You know, I was out of sacred reciprocity with it, where I felt money was going to uh, take me away from my artistry. It would cause problems and divisions. So I, I had a difficult relationship with that. And then when I went to Cyprus, Cyprus had only 10 years prior been invaded and divided. There's a Turkish and Greek population, and the populations had to get relocated. And all the Greeks had to move down to the south, and the Turks had to move to the north. And many, many people lost everything they had. And it just felt like if you want to be, live a happy life, don't think of having property or money. Or getting invested is kind of what comes to mind. Yeah, like don't get invested really in your, your mm -hmm. life in that way. Yes, yes. So I became very purist and I went to Berkeley and I was, you know, very, very lefty <laughs> and extremely encouraged to do so by everybody around me. And so I knew next to nothing about money. I really didn't understand how it worked and was afraid of it. And just as life goes on, you know, you have to learn it. You have to eventually confront this. And this is where sacred reciprocity started really helping me because I already knew about it from all my spiritual practices, but I realized there was this gaping hole when it came to my attitude towards money. I didn't think of sacred reciprocity when it came to money. You know, I kind of wanted to just avoid money altogether. And it just, you know, dawned on me slowly that this is an unsustainable attitude and I'm going to have to make a change in how I feel about money. And it's definitely an ongoing story, but I would say I've made a lot of changes 
Well, let's talk about, you know, what's been going on since then, because one of the things that you do that I so appreciate is that you, you do um, defy the stereotype of the starving artist. You've done so many creative things with your teaching and performing and, and building systems. So we want to hear all about that. So just tell us at a broad level, you know, what is your business and who do you serve? So my business, I call it Brightway Guild. And it's essentially an academy, an online academy where I offer courses, memberships. I have a book. I do online teaching of all sorts. I love the online format because I like to travel. And also I like to work with people all over the world. So yeah, like every day is a different schedule. Uh, so for example, today, earlier, we did co-practice with my Harp Circle, which is an online membership. And that's where we log on Zoom and we state what we're going to practice and we mute and start practicing for an hour and a half. And it's amazing, you know, the energy that comes through when we're all there, each doing our own thing, completely individual that you can't even hear. But because of that group energy, people find they can really hold on to their practice intentions more and follow through and not answer that email or pay that bill or whatever. And then later today, I'm going to do a Q&A. So it's really a very, very mixed bag of what I do. Uh, I think it's really important that I have this online component because I can be more my, myself this way. And I think if you are going to run a business, authenticity is the number one thing. You have to be yourself. And I can be much more myself because I have a much wider reach online than I would just in my own city. Yeah. And are you serving mostly musicians or other creatives as well? It's mostly musicians, although some others are coming in now, uh, writers, dancers, because the way that I approach creativity applies to any type of creativity. So my area of expertise is definitely musicians. Yeah, so it sounds like you do vary um, from granular to big vision with musicians and then bigger visionary work with other creatives. Exactly. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah. I know I participated in some of those, which were really, really helpful. Well, I know in your book, The Bright Way, you talk a lot about your own journey to reclaiming creativity. And can you tell us a little bit about that journey and how that inspired the business that you currently have? Yeah, I had outrageous stage fright. I would throw up before performances, cry for days. I hated performing. And this was really a problem because I wanted to be a musician. <laughs> you know, I wanted to be a professional full-time musician. That was my thing. And it was really the only thing I trained for. And I just couldn't cope. I was like, you know, I'm going to have the shortest life. I am miserable all the time. I can't live this way, you know. And I actually gave up music and pivoted into doing social work. And I worked a lot with battered women in homeless shelters because I'd also always been interested in human potential. You know, I, I think humans are endlessly creative. And so working in these social contexts, people would always find out that I played piano. And I would show people things. They would ask me. And I would say, oh, yeah, okay, I'll show you some things. And they would start playing. And I would just see a dignity come upon them. And watching their enjoyment, you know, at doing this, like their thrill, they're pleased with themselves, the simplest things they were doing. I was like, my God, you know, I forgot that. I forgot that feeling and that love, that wonder at playing, at just playing, 
for yourself, you know, because I had become so externally focused. I was really always concerned about, will I get a good grade in my piano exam? Will I perform well and people will say this about me and that about me? It was all on the outside. There was nothing inside. I entirely lost touch with my creative purpose. And so I called up this teacher and I said, you know, I'm an advanced pianist, but I have horrible stage fright and I just want to play. What do you think? And she was like, well, my studio is kind of full, but your case intrigues me. And we started working together. So it's kind of a long story, but essentially I began getting confidence back. And in tandem with all of this, I started working with beta blockers, which are drugs that block your adrenaline. And again, with transparency, many classical musicians take beta blockers because of their nerves, but there's a lot of shame around it. So beta blockers really helped. And also all my spiritual practices, remembering why we're playing, we're connecting. Ultimately, creativity is about connecting. You connect yourself, you connect to the world, you connect to others, you connect to the divine, and remembering that first and foremost, rather than concentrating on disconnection, things like, what will people think of me? What will happen if I don't play well? What if I'm sick that day? All fear-based things that make you disconnected. Yes, we can sort out the emotional components, uh, some technique components, some intellectual components. And once all those are optimized, you still can feel extremely anxious if you don't also have the spiritual part connected, hooked up, you know, as it were. So that's where I came to distill what I call the bright way system. And that's what I teach. Uh, very much based on my direct experience, I had to find a solution and I had to find one that actually worked. Thank you for sharing this journey. I think it's gonna be so helpful for people to hear. And your insight that creativity is directly linked to spirituality. I find that so intriguing. I'm wondering if you can just speak a little more to that. How did being spiritually connected help you with your creativity and with overcoming the fear or maybe not overcoming, but living with and transmuting that fear? You know, when I was a kid and I would play before the anxiety hit, I would feel like I had entered this golden world where everything was more real than reality. And I would be feeling, oh, this is the true place. I'm in the, the true place. I am so happy. You know, and as, you know, nine-year-old, I didn't have sophisticated language for what essentially was being very connected spiritually at that moment. You know, when I was playing, I would feel my soul, and I would feel that in others too. And that's what I lost, essentially, as I became very externally focused. So the first step in the system that I teach is finding your purpose. And essentially, your purpose is finding that way of being that you were born with. And I ask people to go back to their childhood and rem remember when you were completely lost within something in a beautiful way, like completely swept away, taken up by that thing. And I remembered playing as a child and feeling like, oh, I'm really me. This is my true self, essentially. And I did not say true self. I didn't have that language yet, but I really felt like I'm me right now. So when I play, I come back to my true self. And my purpose is to thereby encourage others to do the same. That, you know, when you come back to your creativity, you find your true self, you find your soul, essentially. And for each of us, it'll have a, a little different flavor. 
when you are involved in your creativity, you are directly mainlining into your spirit and connecting also with others. So number one, when you identify that your creativity is ultimately from a spiritual place, you gain a huge amount of confidence and motivation and inspiration. All those things start to flow. And creativity is something that anybody has access to. I mean, I ultimately define creativity as whenever we directly engage with life, when we're directly doing something, you are transforming that thing no matter what it is. And that is creative. And everybody can do that no matter their circumstance. And no matter their modality, because I think sometimes we relegate creativity to um, artists and musicians, whereas in reality, I mean, every really authentic business is highly creative. I mean, it has to be. A hundred percent. Yes. And I mean, I regret that sometimes because I talk, I only want to talk from direct experience and that's going to be with music and writing, that it gives the impression that creativity is about art of some sort. And it's absolutely not. Everything that you directly engage with is a creative thing. And I 100% believe that. I love Diana's expansive take on creativity. She is absolutely right. This is not limited to artists and writers and musicians. We all have the ability to exercise our creativity. In fact, my entrepreneurial journey has sparked my creativity in very deep ways, and for that, I am exceedingly grateful. Entrepreneurs make no mistake about it. You are exercising your creativity every single day. When we do this in alignment with our purpose and our soul, we are in direct communication with spirit. In fact, in the book of Genesis, we see a reflection of God's creativity as the universe comes into existence. God speaks the world and everything in it into being. I don't take this story literally, but I do love the metaphor of God's creativity sparking us into existence and its expression in the abundance of the material world. Anytime that we create, we are exercising that divinity and the divine impulse. This is part of the abundance of the universe. Your creativity is abundance and puts you in alignment with your abundance. This includes every email, every sales page, every creative session with a client, and it also includes your hobbies, your expressive parenting, and your daydreaming. It is all connected. Well, tell us about the biggest challenge that you've had in building this business. I, I don't see a lot of musicians doing what you're doing, so I can imagine that you might have been starting a little bit from ground zero. What's the biggest challenge that comes to mind to you right now, and tell us how you met that challenge? There was the technical challenge, yeah, of doing it from scratch. So learning things like, how do I build a summit? So just learning all the tech, that was a thing. Learning how to run an email list. So there was that aspect. But I think ultimately the biggest challenge was around messaging and finding my voice in terms of how I communicate with my audience. And I would have reservations around, what if I sound really salesy? what if I sound elitist? Like, what do I say in my ad that doesn't sound manipulative? You know, it's very much going on the negative side. So I would say my biggest challenge was around messaging. And since then, I've learned that it comes back again to your purpose. Tapping into, look, I am creative because I want to tap into my true self and encourage others to do the same. 
So every single piece of messaging that I put out there is that. That is what I want to say. And the more I can say that clearly, the easier it is to send out that email, to write that ad. There's less second guessing of yourself. The more that you are actually just your true self, the more the right people will come to you. And also the more pushback you'll get. Now, I was afraid of that. And then when I got my first, you know, hate mail, I actually found it hilarious. And it was like, oh, it broke the seal. You know, I really dreaded. What about when I get some horrible accusational thing? And then when it happened, it was just nothing. Yeah, I would say the messaging was the hardest part. But a friend of mine, Cassandra, said the most beautiful thing about marketing. She was like, marketing is a form of politeness. It is telling people about something that might benefit them. Right. And drawing on an earlier interview with Tad Hargrave, it's literally meeting people in the market. You know, you're offering your wares in the market and you're also listening and and catching up on the community and you're hearing from, you're also hearing from them. And so in that form, it is a form of sacred reciprocity. And it also sounds like your spiritual values were very much at play in getting to the place where your messaging felt authentic. A hundred percent. It was the spiritual part. Yeah, a hundred percent. One question that I ask each guest here is, what do you think of when I say being in alignment? Um, What does that mean for you? Yeah, that means being on your purpose, really being in touch with your purpose. And it literally feels like an alignment. You know, I, I do feel this bolt of light, you know, coming straight through my skull and down into the core of the earth. And I feel aligned when I am in my purpose. And when I'm outside of my purpose, I just feel jagged and disjointed. So yeah, alignment is being on my purpose. What do you do to get back in alignment? So I center. For me in particular, I sit or stand and I recall my purpose in my mind's eye. And then I fully visualize it as I'm living it. I'm living my purpose right now, even if I'm not. So say I'm out of mm-hmm. balance. I'm like, I'm in it. I'm in it. And I start to feel it coming back in. And then I start breathing, breathing into that purpose. And then as I'm breathing, I get in touch with my center. Now your center is in different places for people, but it feels like kind of the core of your body, that your center of gravity, right? The part that you revolve around. So I get in touch with my center. And then I let all my senses come online. I see this moment, I hear it, I touch it, I taste it, I feel it. And then I start circulating the energy. Some people call this a microcosmic orbit. Mm, Right. But just bringing that energy around. And then I feel like I'm centered again. And this is actually the very first thing I teach any of um, my Harp Circle members, because I feel like if you can center, then you can get through many things. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I love that you mentioned um, that you'll picture yourself in alignment, even if you don't yet feel in alignment. And it reminds me that sometimes to get into a yoga pose where I'm in alignment, I have to temporarily actually be out of alignment because I can't get into it perfectly. I have to shift around or I can't get my foot up where it's supposed to go. But it's a very temporary. And then it gets me back into the, the most alignment that I can be in in that pose. And what you described reminded me of that because it's just inevitable that sometimes we're going to be out of alignment or feel out of alignment, even if we're not. That is so true. Yeah. 
This is so wonderful. And it's been so fun to have this conversation with you. And Diana, do you have any advice or wisdom you'd like to share with the listeners? Wow. Well, definitely keep on listening to your podcasts. I think you're really offering something unique in the world. I love what you're doing. I think the more people who, yeah, who are aware of what you're talking about, this is how we're going to navigate these new times. Things are shifting and the old way is going. It's going away forever. But the invitation is there's a new way coming. And I think the new paradigm that you're offering, the new way of being is so beautiful, gentle, inspiring, and actionable. You can do something with it. You know, it's, it's, it's not just philosophy. I love philosophy and, you know, talking about spiritual things. What you are doing is making it real in the world. So ultimately, I think the idea of direct experience. Go ahead, people, and have your direct experience. You deserve to live life and feel the life force flowing through you. Oh, that's beautiful. I can't think of a better way to end than uh, commending (laughs) direct experience and life force. Beautiful. Um, This is so wonderful. And what is the best way for people to find you? My website is my name, dianarowan.com. So that's the best way. Okay. And we'll make sure it's in the show notes. I'm Katie Valentine, and you've been listening to Soul Savvy Business. Soul Savvy Business is part of the Miracy FM podcast network, which includes shows like Just Between Coaches and Once Upon a Business. This episode was produced by Cynthia Lamb. I wrote this episode with Melissa Deal and Cynthia. Melissa Deal assembled the episode. Danny Eney is our executive producer, and post-production was by Post Office Sound. To make sure you don't miss great episodes coming up on Soul Savvy Business, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you like the show, please give us a starred review. It's the best way to help to get these ideas to more people. Thank you, and I will see you next time. Mm-hmm.